These transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look. Once upon a time, there was a kid who loved movies. She would sit with her dad and watch old World War II flicks, John Wayne westerns, and join the whole family for annual viewings of The Wizard of Oz or Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That little kid was me. Hi, I'm Nancy. I'm a movie addict. And Movies with Historical Subjects is today's theme. Sunday coffee with um, the fries again. It's the last episode of 2020, and Jeff's still on hiatus, getting ready to amaze us with new stories for 2021. We decided to do a kind of clip show version of the podcast, only instead of clips from previous episodes, we're each going to spend a few minutes apiece on three of our favorite historical films. So sit back and listen as we recommend some great historically-themed films on episode 214 of Coffee with Jeff. Now, we could do a deep dive on any of these films that we're about to talk about, but we want to give you just enough of a taste that you might be inclined to seek them out yourselves. I hope you do, because they're all worthwhile. We picked movies that aren't necessarily blockbusters. Some have just gotten lost in the never-ending onslaught of newer films. Some were popular overseas, but not in America. And some just have nostalgia value. But lest you think I'm here by myself, which I'm not, here's Gordon Fry also. Well, I've got my coffee in hand, so I guess we can get going on this. Right. We can't do coffee with Jeff without coffee. So I'm going to let Gordon go first. Also, Gordon got me into working on films in the first place. Uh, my very first movie that I ever worked on was for TNT. It was Rough Riders. Yep, Rough Riders with uh, Sam Elliott mm-hmm. and uh, Tom Berenger. In fact, we're going to be talking about movies that have a lot of people who are in Rough Riders and some of these other movies. Anyway, go ahead, Gordon. What's your What's your first favorite historical film? Well, I'm going to go in reverse historical order. So I'm going to start with the most modern one first. And I will have a couple of honorable mentions at the end, which are a little more modern even yet. But I'm going to start off with um, Appaloosa. Town don't come out this far, Marshal. Oh, by God, I believe you're right. I believe it ends back down at the bottom of that hill with that little washroom. Yeah, up here, you're just another cowboy with a gun. You think that's right, Everett? I think no matter where you are, Virgil, you are not just another cowboy with a gun. That'd be my thought. It didn't get nearly as much play as it should have, but it's a very, very well done film. It's uh, It came out in uh, 2008. It stars Ed Harris and Viggo Mortensen. And Viggo Mortensen, of course, of uh, Lord of the Rings fame. And it's just a really, really well-crafted film. I think this is one of those things that Ed Harris had been working on, putting together for a long, long time. And it was definitely something you, you can see the, um, the craftsmanship and the, the art, artistry uh, putting it together. Uh, oh, yeah, Jeremy Irons is in it, too, with a, a pretty darn good American accent. I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about these two guys. It's a buddy picture. And um, 
one of the characters actually in it is the eight-gauge shotgun that Viggo Mortensen's uh, character. Eight-gauge? Eight-gauge, yeah. That's pretty Um, chunky. Yeah, so remember in... um, with shotguns, gauge the 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 lower the number, the bigger the bore, because it started out. This is probably more information than most people care about, but like a 12 gauge was this, called that because 12 lead balls making up a pound, lead balls of that diameter would fit in the barrel. Okay, so a 20 gauge has 20 balls so that's a per much pound. per pound so it's it's a smaller bore it's about a 62 as opposed to a 12 gauge is 72 and an 8 gauge is about i don't know somewhere around 80 85 caliber it's big yeah and it has a lot of oomph and in fact it has its own spot on the pack animal because nobody wants to actually carry the thing around and like like so many of the movies we're going to be talking about today this is based on a novel, mm-hmm. and it's actually a series of novels. I've read the first three, I think, and they're really, really good. I like buddy stories, as you'll see with some of my choices. And yeah. this, I think it's a very well-done adaptation of the novel. And one of, one of the criteria, criterion, whatever, for us picking these movies is, first of all, is it a good movie? Is it well-made? But also, is it is it true to the historical era that it's portraying and Appaloosa is brilliant in that yeah. aspect. It really fits the uh it fits well in the with the historical uh, record really. I mean this kind of thing happened. Uh it's it's also of note that I, I love one of the in one of the scenes after a shootout, um Ed Harris's character says, Man, everybody got hit. And Viggo Mortensen says, yeah, that's because everybody knew how to shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which in most gunfights, there's lots of bullets flying and nobody gets hit. In this particular scene, everybody gets shot. Uh, So it's it's pretty darn good. All right. Well, I'm going to do the same as Gordon and start with the newer one first. And so my first film that I'm going to talk about is A Very Long Engagement. This is from 2004. Um, Also, Appaloosa is available to rent on Amazon. Also, check your local library. It might have it. For all of these, check your library first because for some reason, almost all of these, none of them are streaming for free, of course. It's like me shopping and always picking the thing that doesn't have a price tag on it. But anyway, Very Long Engagement. It's uh, directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet, who you might remember from such wonderful films as The City of Lost Children, Delicatessen, and Amelie. If you haven't seen Amelie, which is Audrey Tatu's first movie with him, you're missing out. It's a delightful, charming, fabulous film. Literally fabulous. It's very fabuloso. Uh, but a Very Long Engagement is a lovely film that takes place just before and just after World War One. And it's the inciting incident is five young soldiers who are off fighting this awful war that are accused of self-inflicting wounds to escape the trenches. So instead of just lining them up and shooting them, they get sent into no man's land as punishment and they're presumed dead. That's it. That was their thing. Well, Matilda, our or Mathilde, our heroine, one of those boys is her long time they've been in love with each other since they were little kids and they were going to get married and then he goes off to war she believes in her heart that he is alive and so the quest ends up being 
her looking for him. And she spends the whole movie with going through these adventures trying to find him. It is spectacularly beautiful. I think it's pretty true in its depiction of the time. The costumes are fabulous. The hair is good. A lot of times films fall down on the hair. But it's it's great there. And all of Genet's movies are fairy tales. Even Alien Resurrection, which most people don't like in the Alien franchise, it's got its charms, and I—it's also kind of a fairy tale. This one is this one, a very long engagement, but maybe his biggest and best film, and I highly recommend it. It's a nice look at the time, and it's just charming. Every everything about it is charming, and this—you just look at the trailer, and you can see how beautifully it's shot. It's a wonderful film. And even the war scenes are pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it does not make light of that war. It was a terrible war. It was a horrific war with horrific situations. And, and it doesn't pull any punches there. But it's still, it's still watchable. It's not like a grind where you get to the end. like, Well, I saw that. I never need to see that again. Not at all. It's a wonderful film. So I highly recommend it. What's your next one, Gordon? Okay. I, I neglected to mention that Appaloosa takes place in 1881 or thereabouts. Uh, the next one takes place in 1879, two years before that, and this is the movie Zulu. The army doesn't like more than one disaster in a day. Looks bad in the newspapers and upset civilians at their breakfast. It was uh, released in 1964, and um, it stars Stanley Baker, a very young Michael Caine, in fact, it says introducing Michael yeah, Caine. Yeah, it's his first big thing. And Nigel Green as the color sergeant, who, of course, is the, the, the sturdy, steady fellow in the entire film. Uh, in fact, in the, the real Battle of Rourke's Drift, uh, which this movie more or less depicts, um, one of the few people who did not get a Victoria Cross was the color sergeant, because the extraordinary heroism he portrayed was expected. Oh my word. That's what you're that's what a color sergeant is supposed to How do. Very British. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody else got Victoria crosses, but he well, was no just he just got a promotion. Um at any rate, it's really, really well done. They had to take some fairly major artistic um what do you call it? Uh, license. license with it because most of the battle actually took place at night, oh. and they which is a pain to film. Yeah, especially in those days when you're shooting on film and you, they would have had to light the heck out of everything. Yeah, yeah. And so it's um, uh, it's fairly fairly true to the original story, which, like most war movies has its its share of of horrors and its share of um of, of wonderful acts by you know selfless acts by people they kind of um they more than kind of they rather brutalize the um, memory of henry hook one of the characters in there who actually was a really good soldier and he saved a bunch of lives which they show in the film but he wasn't the uh, the drunkard and evil fellow that they portray, and I guess his family was quite upset with the portrayal of oh, Henry sure. Hook because he really was a a decent fellow, and they portray him as this this drunken rabble rouser who rises to the occasion, but instead he was That's story license. They have yeah. to give people arcs and make people different. Yeah. Uh, 
the uniforms are pretty good. The the Zulus, man, they used real Zulus. Uh, that hey guys, come out in your best regalia, and they're out there. It's interesting that this battle, which was um, a very narrow victory for the British, and their victory meant that they didn't get wiped out, um, was only hours after a huge British defeat at Sandwana, which this entire British column was wiped out by the Zulus. And this particular band of Zulus, this branch um, or regiment, which attacked Warwick's Drift, which was just a small engineer detachment, and they were there to build bridge playing and with defend. Their mud pies. Playing with mud pies, yes. <laughs> uh, and the, the fellows defending it were nominally there to protect it, and they didn't expect to have to do anything. Um, but this Zulu impi, which attacked it, they were kind of, they were the young guys, and they weren't blooded yet, so they didn't get a chance to go get involved in all the, the massacre of the invading British troops at Isandlwana. So they wanted to get some blood. They needed to wash their spears in blood. So there's a really, really good book about this whole Battle of Rorksdrift and Isandlwana called uh, Day of the Dead Moon by David Rattray, uh, who actually lived there. He l- lived there at Rourke's Drift. And sadly enough, after he wrote the book and narrated the, um, the, audio, the, version. the audio version, uh, he was murdered by some punks, uh, some Zulu punks. And even though the elders knew him to be a, a, a great champion of them, you know, stuff happens. He yeah. gets stupid punks who do stupid things. Yep. But it's a really, really, really well done book if you want to do a deep dive into this. But one of the great quotes of the film is when, um, I, uh, after the rantings of, uh, of the uh, this, uh, preacher who's being dragged off, uh, one of the young soldiers says, Why is it us? Why us? And Color Sergeant, uh, the Color Sergeant played by Nigel Green says, Because we're real, uh, nobody else. Mm-hmm. And there it is. That's what you do, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. As the French said, the British British die where they stand, you know, good soldiers. Mm-hmm. And you do what you got to do. Anyway, really, really well done film. And that one is actually streaming on the Roku channel, on Tubi TV, and a couple of other places. Um, and your it's Zulu. Your, your library probably has it too if you're if you're feeling pretty pinchy. So yeah. Well, my number, my number two is also, uh, is, a, is another Western, like Appaloosa. This one is from 1991, and in a coincidence, the, since the first movie I ever worked on was for TNT, this one was also made for TNT. It was a TV film starring Sam Elliott and a bunch of other names you're going to recognize, and it's called Conagher. None of us is going to get out of this alive. That's the only thing man knows about life. It's on a lot of people's best Westerns ever made list. Um, I've been doing a little bit of reading this week on it just for fun. I haven't seen it in a while, but it is, if you just want, if you're not really into Westerns, but you kind of like Sam Elliott, this is the one for you. It also stars his wife, Catherine Ross, 
and some wonderful faces that you'll probably recognize from other things like Gavin O'Hurley is in there as one of the cattle rustlers. You'll recognize him if you're a fan of the movie Willow. And he was also one of the bad guys in... um, uh, No, in uh, Lonesome Dove. Oh, Lonesome Dove. That's right. Yeah, he's just one of those big, boisterous character actors you see everywhere. It also has... Uh, uh, Buck Taylor, who's in every Western ever made, it seems like, in the last few decades. He's wonderful. And his dad, Dub Taylor, is in there as as this rancher that Conacher goes to work for over the winter. It also, this is also Ken Curtis of Gunsmoke fame. This, is, this was his last movie. He's in there as the station agent. And he not only spent a lot of years of his life playing uh was it festus festus, festus on gunsmoke mm-hmm. he also went he directed things he went on to star and direct in a lot of or act and direct he was a character actor he did a lot and of also producing. he was a singer he oh, was a yeah. really really fine singer was it sons of the golden west or something oh, I don't like know. that yeah um yeah he that's where he got his start actually was as a uh, was this maybe it's sons of the pioneers anyway he was a hmm. a singer and and every once in a while you'll catch something where he's singing and man that guy had a voice oh wow yeah he's a if you're a mystery science theater fan he directed and is in uh or produced and acts in the Killer Shrews, which is a terrible monster movie, but yeah. it's a lot of fun. As a side note, uh, the first film I worked on, which was a uh, ABC TV movie, it was called uh, Gone to Texas, or sometimes it was entitled Houston, the Legend of Texas, and it starred Sam Elliott and his wife, Catherine Ross. <laughs> and of course, she made her name in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. But my great claim to fame is that uh, I was a dead Texan, and the Mexican troops dragged her out of the chapel of the Alamo right over my dead body, and she kicked me a couple of times going, stepping on me. So, <laughs> been kicked by Catherine Ross. Yes, that's my. There you go. That, that was my claim to fame in the film industry. Brush with fame. Anyway, Conagher is about this. It's a lot of, I think, the best Westerns, uh, if you look at the history of Westerns all around the world, deal with sort of the fading of the golden west the 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 peak peak wild west and that con- the sort of the what do you do when you're aging out or what do you wh- if you don't fit in if you're uh, a trail rider or and that and that whole culture is dying out what do you do with yourself and there's some there's a little bit of that going on and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful movie. It's beautifully shot. It's a TV movie, but it's absolutely worth seeing. Uh, I saw it on VHS years ago. It's based on a Louis L'Amour novel. Sam Elliott's done so many of those. He and Tom Selleck. And uh, so, see, I covered all the guys who were in it. Yeah, it's. I just reckon he's a he's a guy looking for work. And Catherine Ross plays uh uh. The wife of a guy, they're coming out west. She's got a couple of little kids. They're going to set up a ranch. He leaves one day to, to ride back into the nearest city to, with a bag of gold to pick up supplies to, to start their ranch. And he says, yeah, I might be gone up to a month. Well, he never comes back. He never comes back. We find out at some point that he had a horse wreck. The horse rolled on him, and he basically died of internal injuries. But she doesn't know that, and she keeps hoping he's going to come back, and he never does. And she just has to kind of make do, and there's... The Indians attack, and this, and the weather is, they, you know, and she just kind of has to cope, and she eventually becomes a stage stop, and 
and makes it, tries to make a living, making a little money, providing meals and um, uh, uh, basically stabling fresh horses for the for the stage route. And it's it just kind of goes from there. Their paths cross, and there's all kinds of interesting things that happen. It's a it's a beautiful movie. Highly recommend it. Just to toss out another film that is has a similar. Um, echo to it about you know the dying west and what these guys do uh is speaking of tom Selleck, uh he did a remake of a film that lee marvin did which is both of them are really well done slightly different but really well done it's called monty, monty walsh mm. and it's about this cowboy who is really good at his job but the industry's dying and you know what do you do mm-hmm. what yeah. do you do and there's a, a love story in there too. It's it's just it, it, that one's much more poignant and sad. One of the things I like about Conagher is there's there is a little romance angle to it, but it's not doesn't feel shoehorned in, and it's not annoying. It just it happens so organically. It it makes total sense. It's still very quiet and natural, and it's a family friendly film. I mean, there's some shooting and stuff and a couple of fist fights, but there's there's no boobs and butts, and it's just. A beautiful, beautiful movie, and I highly recommend it. This one is available on Amazon for rent, but again, check your local library. You might get lucky. Okay, Gordon, back over to you. So my last one, we're going to jump a couple of hundred years back even further from the 1800s to the 1600s, and this is a film. It's all in Spanish. Uh, It also stars Viggo Mortensen, (laughs) who has started off. He keeps coming back back at us. Yeah. Uh, it's called A La Triste, or Captain A La Triste, depending upon which version you get. Yeah, the the version you might see on Amazon or wherever is Captain A La Triste, the Spanish Musketeer, which seems needlessly wordy to me, but whatever. And what it, it, it the film is based on a series of books by, uh, was it Arturo Perez? Uh, and it's just, he started writing um, Arturo Perez Riberte. He... Um, started writing these books because he discovered his children had no idea of their history, the history of Spain. Uh, kind of like American children who have no idea of yeah. the history of America, let alone anywhere else. And they, the they had no idea that Span, Spain was the world superpower in the 16th and early 17th century. Oh, yeah. And um, that they were at war in the Netherlands over dynastic issues. Uh, it's extremely complex. I could spend about an hour telling you why this is, but it all boils down to just reasons. But um, Captain Alatriste, he's not really a captain. They just call him that because he's the leader of this this group. Everybody looks to him for leadership. Um, but they're in Flandres, uh, Flanders, what's now Belgium, and fighting in Belgium and, and, and Holland. And um, it's gritty. It is gritty. So if if you don't like grit, don't watch this. But it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully oh my shot. Goodness. It is beautiful. The costumes are great. They do take some license here and there uh, with some of their uh, characters, making them a little to to make them, you know, different, differentiate them from each other. One of them in particular is like, oh, this is more of an 18th century Spanish look, but he's still. It's great. It's still not as bad as Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, no. and it, But there's some wonderful swordplay in it, and there's, there, 
they're using their swords like they're supposed to. One of the funny aspects of this was that Viggo Mortensen, of course, he grew up in Argentina. He speaks perfect Spanish for Argentina. And they had to really work on him to to wreck this really thick Argentine Spanish accent. Because he shows up and said, oh, I speak Spanish. No, you don't. That's like an American showing up at the Shakespeare, you know, theater in London saying, oh, I, speak English. I, I speak English. Mm, no. Yes, you do, but. I'm not. I don't believe so. Anyway, um, it's it's really a, a well done film. And it's what's great is that, um, again, the, it's based on this series of books, which you can take out, get from the library or just buy. Um, and he gets in, he just delves into a lot of really neat stuff. And I've read a lot of 16th and 17th century Spanish documents. Okay. I know how this stuff goes, how the, the, I know the pace of the language. I know the, the verbiage that was common then. And these guys use it. It is, it's like somebody writing a film today in Jacobian or Elizabethan English. And if you've read the original King James version of the Bible, you know it's definitely different than what we speak today. Yeah. And so these guys are speaking, you know, well, my mercy, you know, your mercies, discuss, you know, here is yes. my story. And it's it, it's much more flowery, mm-hmm. verbose, and beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just... And it's a visually stunning movie, too. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember... The very first scene, and I remember the last few scenes. The first scene involves these guys making a beach landing at night in cold, misty water. And this in this era, the firearms of the time were matchlocks, mm-hmm. not flintlocks. Not, and maybe wheel locks are coming in. But these guys have matchlocks, which means the incendiary that touches off your charge is literally a slow-burning cloth match it's a three-foot cord yeah, that you're burning that at both you ends. cannot get wet so these guys are holding they have to hold their rifles way up high out of the water and it's just it's so beautiful it's like yes you gotta keep literally keeping your powder dry yes and they're they're all you see is the musket being held up yeah at arm's length and the burning rat match wrapped around the arm you know the wrist mm-hmm. and these guys are underwater right and they come up and this was like this, a bunch of Navy SEALs. <laughs> and this isn't, this is not a, the director's wild idea of something that looks cool. They did this. Yes. The, at, uh, the Spaniards crossed a channel to get to Walcheren Island in the, during the, the 80 years war, which this is part of. It took 80 years between the beginning of the Dutch revolt and them actually getting their independence. Okay. This is, this is a long war. And this Battle of Walcheren Island, the Spaniards walked across, they, they waded across this channel that was four feet deep at low tide. Oh, wow. Okay, if they'd have had anything stop them on the way, they'd all drown. And this was like, you know, a mile across. So these guys, there was a reason that Spain conquered the New World. There's a reason they were the superpower of the 16th and 17th, early 17th centuries. These guys had it and they knew how to use it. They were incredible men. And 
even though we are subjected to what's called the Black Legend, uh, which was basically English and French propaganda to to um, make the Spaniards look bad, these guys were phenomenal yeah. soldiers. Yep. And a la triste, it shows that. And I also like the imagery at the end where in uh, they basically studied paintings of the time mm -hmm. and and paintings that commemorated events that are happening in this film and basically set up and blocked out their scene to match the painting that you is, can see today. Yes. It is called Siege of Breda by Diego Velazquez. It is a beautiful painting and you can see on the original painting where they where he painted out Captain Alatriste. It's there. <laughs> and it is so cool that the author took that guy. So I'm going to write about I'm going to write about this guy that they got that got painted out because of court intrigues a few years yeah. later. And it's like, that is just the coolest thing ever. It's revisionist history in painting. It's it's yeah. it's almost it's right up there with and it, a much nicer character. But it's right up there with the. Um, uh, the Flashman series of books where there's this character out of a novel of Tom Brown's school days, who's a real jerk and he makes this whole world around him. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's, it's right up there with that. And I've always loved Velasquez paintings. I've always loved that particular one. And to find a book or a series of books written about the guy that I always wanted to know who, I wonder who this guy is. I wonder why he got painted out. Why is somebody else painted over and top Perez of him? just said, I know, I'll create him out of whole cloth, and here's this guy. Here's this guy. And that is just the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, my, my third film is also a little bit older. And, in fact, the film itself came out in 1939. It's a little old black and white film called Gunga Din. Well, it's a bit difficult, sir, seeing as how they've all gone on leave together. Gone on some mysterious mission, they said, sir. <laughs> Says, oh, it'll be a mystery if you ever come back to write that up, I says. It's very loosely based on Rudyard Kipling's poem, Gunga Din, and another poem he wrote called Soldiers Three. And in this case, the Soldiers Three are uh, played by three of my favorite actors in the whole world. We've got a very, very young Cary Grant. He's just a wee little thing in this, a little strapping young guy. We've got Douglas Fairbanks Jr., perfect for this role and then one of my favorite character actors of all time victor mclaughlin i'm leaving the service leaving the service that's right i'm uh, i'm getting married and i'm going in the tea business married tea business why you're mad if it a scottish guy who started out as a professional boxer and served in i can't remember what unit. he was actually uh, he was like the head of the military police in yes basra iraq Yes. World War One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy did it all. He's a big bruiser of a guy. You've seen him in, I think, she wore yellow ribbon, John uh -huh. Wayne film. He he often plays the sergeant yes. sidekick to John Wayne's um, yeah. officer. Well, he's a sergeant in Gunga Din. They're all three of these guys. Are Even though he was actually a commissioned officer to begin with, but yeah, still, but he yeah. he understands them. Oh, and I yeah. I believe it's McLaughlin. 
No, it's actually McLaughlin. Really? I looked it up. Oh, it, McLaughlin. People, people mispronounce it McLaughlin all the time, but it was McLaughlin. Not McLaughlin. Nope. Nope. McLaughlin. Oh. Anyway. Oh, well. You'll, when you see I'm him, you're like, oh, that guy. You've seen him. And if you like older movies, if you've seen The Quiet Man, another yep. John Wayne movie, he's in that. But uh, when I was a kid... Long before there were VCRs, let alone on-demand streaming everything, and you had to scour the TV guide every week to see if one of your favorite movies was scheduled. That's the last time I saw Gunga Din. My parents let me stay up way past midnight to see a late showing. So part of me is still that little kid living in the decades when you couldn't watch something whenever you wanted to, and that's probably why I haven't seen it again until this week. It just hadn't occurred to me that, oh, yeah, I can see that anytime I want if I know where to look. And because my little kid brain is still living in the in the 70s when you couldn't do that. But uh, it's probably why it's taken me long to see. Now, if here's a disclaimer, if you're offended by blackface, then this movie isn't for you. It's 1939. They didn't always get the right ethnicity of actor to play the characters. So you've got an Italian guy playing the aged Tuggies guru. And you've got Sam Jaffe, like a New York Jew, playing Gunga Din. He does a wonderful job, and it's a wonderful role, and it's probably one of his best-known roles. And it's um, I, I like this movie a lot. This was my, as a kid, as at age, I don't know, 12 or 13, this was my favorite movie until Star Wars came out. I There was just something. I like buddy pictures. I like... I like Guns of Navarone type, we got to get a group of soldiers together to go do a thing kind of movies. It's not strictly that. I like swashbuckling movies. I like exotic locales. They did not film this in India, needless to say. They filmed, Although they had elephants in it. They did. There are elephants in this. It's <laughs> awesome with little mountain howitzers on them. Or, no, they had the Gatling guns. Gatling guns the Gatling on Gatling carriages on, on them. There's a lot of great military stuff in this. If you're into cavalry like Gordon is, um, there's some wonderful stuff with lancers and, and just... Anyway, it's it's a lot of fun there, but uh, they they filmed it actually in Alabama Hills, which is near Lone Pine, California, and it stands in for the hill country of northern India, which goes up into the Khyber Pass. Yeah, we're talking Pakistan and the tribal country right now. Yeah, it wasn't. It's not India anymore. It's no, Pakistan. not anymore. But it's basically where everybody's shooting it up still. Yeah. Today. They also did a little bit of shooting at RKO's Encino Ranch. This is an RKO picture. Uh, it's just. I like it. I like this movie. It's it's for 1939 and a 4x3 aspect ratio. It's very pretty. It's very beautiful. They really use the light well. You can tell sometimes they're using big reflectors, but it's okay. It It's just beautifully shot. I've forgotten. It's been so long since I saw this, and I didn't have the toolkit to bring to my appreciation of it. And now watching it again, it stands up. I really, really like it. Right from the opening credits, they do a little bit of quote from the poem Gunga Din at the top, which is appropriate. And then it goes into the opening credit roll, which is all titles on this giant gong. And there's a little guy down in the corner of the screen who wangs the gong and you get that that glass of water Jurassic Park effect. And then the next set of credits come up and it seems corny, but it's just beautifully done. Uh, I don't think it's corny. I think it's classic. It's just uh, it's just a good movie. There is a they like like the first screen ap- adaptation of Carpenter's Who Goes There short story science fiction story, The Thing from Another World. Hollywood decided they had to jam a woman in there for some reason. So there's a token female in the story who's uh, Sergeant Valentine's love interest and the reason he wants to leave the army. That's Joan Fontaine 
in one of her first screen roles, and it's a completely token, two-dimensional character thrown in there. It's, she's boring, and she's eye candy, and it's just like, it's like, why is she even here? But oh well, the rest of the movie's great. Uh, so it's kind of a shoehorned in romantic element that really doesn't belong in the story, but oh well. It's got great cavalry stuff. They use picket lines correctly. Their columns are great. Their maneuvering is great. Their tactics are great. I just... They didn't hold a very good line when they were charging. Them. No, but you didn't see the beginning. Gordon came in late when I was watching this, so he didn't get to see the beginning of the movie when they were drilling and doing other stuff, and they were just spot on. It was awesome. So uh, I recommend it. It's on Amazon for rent. Again, it's an older movie. Your library might have it, but I And like by it. the way, just as a aside, should anybody think that, oh, this is a horrible racist movie, it ends with the white colonel looking at the... The dead body Spoilers. of Gunga Din and saying, quoting from Kipling's poems, that you're a better man than I am, Gunga Din. And he gives him a posthumous uh, position Corp- of corporal. Yeah, and he because he start, he's a water carrier. He's a, yep. a regimental beastie. They called him a beastie. The, the beastie. And he actually gives, basically gives him a position on the honor roll as one yep. of the honored actual military dead and because of his his heroism at this battle at this thuggy temple so yeah it's um it's a it's a it's a good film it's if you want wham bam mtv style editing it's not for you most movies before the 1970s weren't trying to give you an epileptic seizure with their editing style so it might move a little slow for some people but it's worth it and it's got some great fist fights and some great action scenes and Cary Grant's a hoot they're all a hoot it's just it's just wonderful I enjoy it so much so those are our six movies that we were going to uh, talk about. We do have some honorable mentions. I know Gordon has a few. Yeah, I wanted to mention a couple. Um, one is Joyeux Noël, uh, which is about the 1914 Christmas uh, peace in the trenches in World War One, the Christmas truce, and how the tr- the soldiers just did a truce by themselves. They yeah. just chose to. Um, and one of the hilarious lines in it is the Germans, you know, the Germans are singing Christmas songs and the British troops start singing the same songs. And they can hear each other because the trenches aren't that far apart. Yeah, they're apart. like 100 yards apart or something like that. And the Germans put up a Christmas tree and the, the British are clapping at it and stuff like that. And the Germans holler across, hey, English. And they get the reply, there's new English here. Because <laughs> they're all Scots. <laughs> And the Germans oh. turn out to be like Bavarians and like, oh, we don't like the Prussians either. So they have a lot in common, you know, of, of despising their overlords, you know, the uh, imperial overlords. So anyway, it's there's a lot of really, really nice stuff. And in fact, spoiler alert here, where the German officer is able to tell the French officer about the birth of his child. That he has a son has been bored because it, the French officer's wife is in Alsace, oh. and they're separated. But he has his has a baby, and the the German officer's like, "Oh, I, I know, know who she is. You just have a you have a son." So I mean, there's some really wonderful, poignant parts. It's horribly sad too, but because you know, the next day they're going to be they're all going to die, lobbing grenades at each other. But but it was um, it's really well done movie. Uh, another one is just is Tombstone. Tombstone, <laughs> it's not really that 
perfect historically, but oh my God, is it a good movie. Uh, it just has the most memorable lines of any film I can think of. It's just chock full of them. It's very quotable. Very quotable. Not a scene goes by. Oh my word. Uh, so if you want some good quotes, <laughs> uh, yeah, watch A lot of good mustaches in that movie. Great mustaches. Mustache heavy. <laughs> yep, great mustaches. Um, and finally, I'm going to throw out Ride with the Devil, something I we both worked on. Uh, but it's just a really good exploration of the American Civil War, but not just that, but the, the actual Civil War. Not just a war between yeah, states. Not, not the North-South War. This was the East-West East -West Civil War. Civil War between Missouri and Kansas, between the abolitionists in Kansas and the slaveholders in Missouri. The clash of cultures and of, of New Englanders versus Southerners, and it was very, very well done. Again, horrible in many ways, poignant, but really well done. And this is another movie where you were talking about Alatrista, where they get the, the pattern of the language correct. This movie, directed by a Chinese man, Ang Lee, who Ang you Lee. know from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, et cetera, et cetera. He directed this, and you want to watch a movie where you feel like you're looking through the time machine? This is it. That's it. They... It's just beautiful. It's it's um, little Toby Maguire, and Jim Cavazell and Jewel. Yeah, Jim Cavazell has done some some great stuff since Jeffrey then too. Jeffrey Wright, if you're a fan of the Westworld series, he he's in this has in a wonderful role. It's just a good, solid, sweeping epic of a movie. Yeah, beautifully done. So those are those are the honorable mentions, which I would have happily put in the front there too my bonus honorable mention for me is it's not a fiction movie it's a documentary i guess movie and this is peter jackson's 2018 movie they shall not grow old which is also about world war one oh. using all original footage that he had over a period of years with the resources he put together through the Lord of the Rings movies. He's got all these technical resources. He took all this World War I footage and had it lovingly restored. And there's no pithy, poignant voiceover or artificial yeah. anything. The, all the sound you hear is the sound effects they put on the footage to make it seem like they were recording sound at the time. You know, horse hoof beats and rolling wagon wheels and gunfire. And the voiceovers are all interviews with World War One veterans that were recorded years ago. Yeah, uh, they did. The BBC did a lot. Or, or BBC? Anyway, the, there was lots and lots of um, interviews done with the veterans in mm -hmm. the 60s when these guys were in their... 70s and 80s yeah. and it's it's amazing it's absolutely amazing this movie was touring around the country a few years ago and we went and saw it we're totally worth the price of admission now it's actually streaming on amazon you can rent it um who knows there might be hard copies out there maybe you can get it from your library too but if you are interested in military history at all or just want to Feel what it was like to be there in World War One. It's all Anzacs. He could do a whole other two or three hour documentary no, on. It, it's Brits. Oh, was it Brits? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just. New no, Zealand his grandfather troops. was actually uh, English. Oh, that's right. It's right. That's right. It's Tommy's. I'm sorry. It's Tommy's. Yeah. But he does have some. He does have lots of of um, stuff from Anzac troops and even Americans. Yeah, he just decided to focus and on Canadians. the on the Tommies. 
just because. And it's there I was mean, a lot more information yeah, there yeah. too. But his grandfather that this was an homage to uh, was yeah. English. So he's been collecting these materials all his life, and this was a, a labor of love for him. And um, I'm not sure on the rental at Amazon because I haven't done that yet. But in the theatrical version that we saw at the end, there was a sort of interviews and a making of and um, almost like a half an hour worth of material that we stayed for, which was really, really nice, too. So anyway, They Shall Not Grow Old. It's a treasure. It's a real treasure. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautifully done. It's, there's a, it's, there's, it's a kick in the gut. Yeah, but it's it's beautifully beautiful. Yeah, if you done. don't if you don't come away from that movie having used a couple of Kleenex, then you will have no soul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You are literally looking into the faces of boys who are about to die. Yep. And it's and you can see it on their face that they know it. Yeah. It's like oh my. It's word. a whole. It's a, it's difficult, but but well worth your time. Anyway. That was quite a hefty chunk of an episode there, but yeah, hey, it was the last one of 2020, so we kind of went crazy. Hope you enjoyed it, our little trip down movie memory lane. We always enjoy our time here on the show. Jeff will be back next time for his usual deeper dive into some topic of interest, and we know it'll be something great. And with that, how about those ending credits? <laughs> You've been listening to Coffee with Jeff, a Zeus Brothers Entertainment podcast, and we thank you for listening. This show takes money to produce and keep on the air, so if you have a few coins to help us keep things going, that would be wonderful. You can do so by contributing to Jeff's Patreon page. Just go to coffeewithjeff.com for more information, including a link to Coffee with Jeff's homepage at transistor.fm. And be sure to tell your podcast listening friends, won't you? You can email Jeff at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com with comments or story ideas. And also follow at Twitter by searching for Coffee with Jeff, all one word, and at Facebook too. We'd like to thank Jeff again for letting us do his podcast this week. David Metzger for the snazzy Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all of you who repost the show across social media. You have a special place in our hearts. Take care, stay healthy, and Jeff will be back in a couple of weeks. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff.